The following paid program does not necessarily reflect the views of News Radio 830 KHVH, its staff, or management. Welcome to the Foreclosure Hour, broadcasting weekly each Sunday from the Dubin Law Offices at Harbor Court in downtown Honolulu at 3 p.m. Hawaii Standard Time on News Radio 830 KHVH and on the iHeartRadio app across the nation and beyond. And here's Gary. Hello, everybody. Thank you for uh, listening in today. We promised you uh, that we had two objectives in mind. One was to bring together for the first time experts in the foreclosure field in every area of life. We've heard from lawyers, we've heard from uh, commentators, and we have a very special guest today. In future shows, I hope we're even going to have judges it's not easy to get a judge to appear, but I'm hopeful. Today's guest is Dave Krieger. Dave is an investigative journalist with an incredible background who's written one of the premier books in the field called Clouded Titles. Dave, are you there? I'm here, Gary. Yes. Dave, can you uh, give our listeners a little bit of a background on how you got into the foreclosure defense area well gary first off it's an honor to be on the program and uh, thanks so much for having me and um, you know i want to thank your listeners for dialing in because knowledge is power and this is huge what we're doing and what you've been doing um, and it's always nice to be you know on the on the winning side of, of people who uh, are retaining professionals like yourself to represent them in court and so uh, i i wanted to take a minute first off to thank you before i answer your question um, I basically started out because uh, of my own personal experience. Uh, Gary, I actually walked away from a mortgage, what we commonly refer to as a strategic default, in 2003. Since then, I've run across MERS mortgages and uh, been involved with them, uh, much to my chagrin and, and uh, subsequent panic. Uh, the last loan I had that had MERS on it, I dumped on Halloween of 2006 and have not had a MERS mortgage since. Uh, I began in 2007 attempting to compile the research, and in 2008 I broke my foot, was laid up for about six months, and at that point in time I decided, uh, decided to start uh, putting pen to paper and uh, accumulating all the information that I had been doing research on for the last year previous, and uh, compiled it into what is now known as clouded titles. And that's the title of your book. Yes, Clouded Titles uh, came out uh, in uh, basically October of 2010, and uh, it's been widely read by attorneys. Uh, within a year, we updated it to the current version that it is now, 396 pages. And, you know, Dave, uh, really, uh, I recommend everybody read your book. They're going to be shocked. Those, of, those who don't know how titles have been messed up in the United States. Can you, they uh, have been. Over 70 million of them right now are affected. And uh, as a matter of fact, before we went on the show, I w I've been working on a what we call a chain of title assessment. And between uh, what we call a derainment period or a period where we actually have to prove or vindicate title, I'm now recognizing that between uh, roughly around 2000 is when the actual document manufacturing by the banks started up, that they were actually getting rid of uh, notes and losing paperwork that early in the game. Uh, here we thought that it was, you know, sometime around 2005 and six when the peak of the mortgage uh, lending, predatory lending scenario started up. but. I'm finding documents right now, not one, but three documents in this one particular chain of title to a piece of property in the Miami-Dade area in Florida that has three endorsements in blank by the same senior vice president of Bank of America on three different mortgage documents filed in the land record, which yeah. I just, I have to help laugh, but laugh and think the... Uh, that I would think that the senior vice president of Bank of America is not an idiot 
and has more than an eighth grade education. My second uh, summation was that someone out there that uh, doesn't really have an eighth grade education uh, is getting paid $10 an hour to randomly affix a rubber stamp endorsement to all these documents that are being filed in the land records instead of where it belongs, which is, as you and I well know, Gary, on the promissory note. Yeah, uh, Dave, uh, most of our listeners are familiar with the traditional mortgage where they sign the promissory note and the mortgage and the bank puts the promissory note in the vault and the mortgage records the mortgage and when they pay it off gives it back to them. Most have no idea what actually happens in today's secondary mortgage market to their note and mortgage. Do you want to briefly explain what, how it came about that these problems developed because of this MERS mechanism? Well, the MERS business model, uh, as we know it, uh, is owned by a company called MERS Corp Holdings, Inc., out of uh, Reston, Virginia. They're both MERS and MERS Corp are Delaware corporations, but MERS in of itself, which I'm sure your listeners have probably heard the term MERS, describes a business model that is a bankruptcy remote business model. Uh, this entity has no assets, liabilities, no income, no expenses, and they hate my guts with a passion. Everybody in MERS Corp knows who I am. They watch my website. I'm convinced they probably watch yours, Gary. Yes, I think we share that. <laughs> the, uh, the circumstances are such that um, back in 1999, um, MERS really is what uh, the, the model, the current model we know of now took off. Uh, January 1, 1999, we had two different MERS versions already up and down and closed by the time that the third version of MERS and MERS Corp Inc. started up, the original MERS Corp. MERS Corp is actually the parent. MERS is the child. MERS Corp, the parent, started up at the same time that MERS did, which was January 1st, 1999. And ironically, uh, and not coincidentally, the Glass-Steagall Act was repealed vis-a-vis -vis the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act. And this act basically allowed the banks and all their key players on Wall Street to enter the securities market, and they were able to take all of these mortgage loans and bundle them up into pools and allegedly put them into Wall Street trusts, which we call real estate mortgage investment conduits, which are supposed to be tax-exempt flow-through conduits. In other words, the money from investors outside these trusts is fed into the trust, it goes and passes through, which is why they call them pass-through certificates. The money passes from the investors in exchange for the certificates, and we believe that they are roughly $1,000 per certificate, and these certificates are being held by investors whose money is used to fund the borrower's loans. And this is uh, basically how the secondary mortgage market came into play down on John Q. Homeowner. Now, the, the bigger problem we're seeing now is that we believe, from all the research we're doing, many of the attorneys that I talk to uh, are starting to suspect that all that was listed in these trusts and the prospectuses were nothing but statistics and loan numbers and information designed to dupe the investors in light of all the recent lawsuits, especially the one from Phoenix Light, where in paragraph 1033 of that particular lawsuit, they were alleging that there's a 100% failure rate in these Wall Street trusts, which tells us that the notes never made the pool 100% of the time, which means the trusts that claim to own these notes in reality do not own them, and the whole thing has been a shell game. Yeah, I guess it all started when uh, the appraisals were inflated, the underwriting guidelines were ignored, people were encouraged to take out loans they couldn't afford and then those bogus loans were then sold to the investors that would be the I would agree with you entirely on that entire scenario in fact we've had quotes uh, running through our networks that you know countrywide home loans which I know many of your listeners have fell victim to were telling their owners uh, of these loans uh, the, the homeowners if uh, you can fog up a mirror, we'll give you a loan. And uh, why get a $100,000 loan when 
we can get you a $200,000 loan and you can buy more house. So I would definitely agree with the scenario that the predatory lending uh, especially started up between 2003 and 2008 as securitization took off. Yeah, so then you also, you had the political system encouraging it. Oh, you did. Back as early as 1994, you had President Clinton dangling the carrot in front of people, telling them that they can afford a house, that they, you know, it's a right. It's everybody's right to own a house, which you and I, Gary, both know better. It's a privilege to be able to get a mortgage loan and invest in property and be a homeowner in America. So it, it became sort of like a Ponzi scheme that eventually it had to collapse. Well, it did, and it did in 2008. And, and meanwhile, people made a fortune in commissions. Oh, they did. They made a huge fortune in commissions. Many of these mortgage loan officers that I knew and now, you know, don't consider my friends anymore uh, probably have paid off mortgages while the people that they got these mortgage loans for are probably facing or have faced foreclosure. Now, Dave, from my point of view, I go into court every day. My law firm goes into court every day fighting these securitized trusts. And most judges are completely ignorant as to all of all the things we're talking about. And for the average homeowner, it, in many ways, it's just about impossible to find a lawyer who knows who knows what's going on either. Well, that's true because we just haven't had the level of education out there, which I think both you and I are trying to encourage. And uh, one of the first such sessions that I did in Austin, Texas, was a continuing legal education program that was sanctioned by the State Bar of Texas, and we had a very small turnout of attorneys who now form one of the biggest foreclosure defense networks in the state of Texas. And the research, they get together once a month, uh, every second Saturday, and talk about the various aspects of foreclosure defense and how these uh, trust didn't make the pool and about pooling and servicing agreements and all the little quirks that we're trying to educate the courts with today. Uh, Dave, we have a lot of listeners in Texas. Uh, is there anyone in particular in Texas, an attorney you might want to mention their name that could get in touch with this uh, group of uh, attorneys? Well, the uh, I can. Um, there is a uh, for those of you in Texas, this um, and I and I can safely say that there's been so much public exposure of this attorney and his uh, his group because of the Williamson County land record audit that DK Consultants, my firm, conducted in the land records and uh, subsequent to the release of the audit. Uh, and I've checked with other uh, jurisdictions who have done these audits. Uh, out of all the counties in America, only four counties have actually commissioned and conducted audits of their land records out of over 3,000 counties in the United States. And uh, following the uh, release of the audit, of course, it included an opinion letter from David Rogers, David A. Rogers, who is an attorney in Austin that represents my firm. And uh, he has a contingent of attorneys, four of which, uh, including Mr. Rogers himself, worked on the audit with me prior to its release and uh, you know, testimony to the Williamson County Commissioner's Court. Uh, as you know, and I'm sure you've heard, Williamson County has filed a Rule 24 motion for leave to intervene in the Nueces County lawsuit down in Corpus Christi, Texas, against MERS Corp and Bank of America, where a federal judge has held them uh, to stand trial for these, uh, these errors, uh, denying them both mission, uh, motions to dismiss. Uh, they're still in the case, and Travis County, which is the county that Austin is in, also filed a motion uh, to intervene as well. So well, we've got three counties in this lawsuit against MERS Corp and Bank of America, and uh, that case is still ongoing. Uh, Dallas County also sued MERS Corp, and that case right now is in a settlement conference uh, because obviously I don't think the judge wants to uh, rule in that case. I'm afraid that a lot of these judges, Gary, like you are surmising, uh, not only are, are ignorant of a lot of this stuff, refuse to believe that it happened, uh, but also don't want to make these rulings for fear that their political careers are going to get cut short. Mm -hmm. uh, that's interesting. We had, <clears throat> my firm had a case recently in Napa County in California, and we sued the recorder, the county recorder, just to bring them into the case. 
And surprisingly, that case settled within a month. Interesting. Yeah, I, I tried to tell the uh, Texas clerks when I spoke to them at the convention at Texas Clerk School in January of 2012 that I was trying to help keep them from being sued because they're mandated by statute to record documents. And, you know, my biggest problem was, is like John O'Brien up in southern Essex County, Massachusetts, they're not doing enough to challenge the legitimacy of these recordations that are coming into the land records. What, what, what went, can you explain what went into your audit in uh, Williamson County? Well, we basically were looking for MERS-related assignments. This is what we were given a specific target audit, a specific area of issues that we had to examine. When we walked in, there was a piles of documents, much like the videos that you see John O'Brien in, and there were piles of documents with blown-up signatures of all these alleged robo-signers. All of the clerks in Williamson County were very much aware of this, and so they had all of these MERS-related assignments from 2010 to 2012 sitting in bundles on tables for the audit team to come in and examine. So for four days, we went through 5,278 documents, and out of those, we were able to uh, completely scrutinize almost 1,600 or 30% of those documents and came up with multiple issues of suspect robo-signing, surrogate signing, notary fraud, forgery, self-assignment by the lender who claims to own the note, self-appointment of the trustee involved in the foreclosure. In fact, two law firms were targeted as a result where one trustee's signature kept varying depending on which notary was notarizing the document. Mm -hmm. He's very nervous right now. As a matter of fact, three weeks after the audit was released, one law firm that was a target of the audit actually dissolved its company, merged and changed its name to a different company, and all of its key partners, according to our attorneys, cut and ran for fear they were going to be prosecuted. Mm. Do you have any idea why that's, that's happening? You know, we've seen a lot of that in California. I'm sure you have, and, and basically the, the primary reason that a lot of these documents are in the land records the way they are is because the bank shredded the notes and most of the collateral paperwork, and so they basically had to remanufacture all the documents to put in. Uh, the bigger problem is, is that a, a number of these uh, documents we found in the audit, Gary, came from uh, documents and assignments that were produced as a result of a foreclosure being conducted by one of these trust pools on Wall Street that we're talking about. And what would happen is, is they would come in and we would have the research assistants for the audit team go in with the assistance of three of the archive clerks from Williamson County who actually got a very good education from us. We both actually were, we educated each other during the process, but uh, what ended up happening was we found that in every, since, every single instance, None of the notes properly made the pool, according to much of the case law, including the most recent case in California, Glaske uh, versus Bank of America, where they basically said that the transfer, according to New York Estates and Trust at 7-2.4, was ineffective, and therefore the trust did not have standing to pursue foreclosure. This pretty much mirrored most of what we found in Williamson County. Yeah, the frustrating thing is that for every Glaske kind of decision, we've got 10,000 uh, with a different result. Exactly. And, and what's really more disconcerting, Gary, is we've got foreclosure mill law firms filing letters with the Supreme Court uh, trying to retry the case and trying to get the Supreme Court to depublish the opinion for fear that it's going to cause all these foreclosures in California to go non-judicial, which I think is utter nonsense. I think they just don't like the case because it speaks to the truth of what's really going on here, and they want to cover it up. Yeah, <clears throat> and in my experience, when we raise these issues, many times the lender will quickly settle with us in order to avoid any adverse uh, printed opinion. It's amazing how that works. Yeah. We actually had a case, uh, because of the chain of title assessments that I'm doing right now, um, I, I'm not going to be able to, and I'm going to be honest with your listeners, I can't do 70 million chains of title in my lifetime. That's not going to happen. Uh, 
what I'm doing basically is I'm teaching people how to do these chains of title based on formats that I have used in conjunction with my attorneys so that we can educate the lawyers that are trying these cases and defending the homeowners how the chain of title and this PSA fits into the scheme of things. Is and it, I'm actually going to be in San Jose um, on uh, November 15th through the 17th, and uh, I'm going to be teaching a class there that's being sponsored by the Merton Academy. This is actually the first non-sponsored uh, event. Uh, I'm not the one that's sponsoring it. Someone else that does continuing legal education and in real estate and medicine. Um, they're the ones that are actually sponsoring this, and, and they're trying to get Department of Real Estate credits for realtors in California that want to take these classes because, frankly, uh, most realtors right now, uh, they're not selling property. They are sweating bullets trying to figure out how they're going to make ends meet. And so we have a lot of realtors and brokers and attorneys, uh, as well as homeowners that are concerned about the condition of their chain of title and their mortgage, uh, taking this class to learn how to do this so they can help other homeowners because we can't do this without help. <clears throat> Dave, I think that anyone in the California area or elsewhere, it would be very valuable to attend your workshop. Well, I have somebody from the Big Island, actually, that's already signed up to attend. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell our listeners how they can get more information about well, taking Your this class, and we've done this numerous times uh, over 2012 and 13, uh, they can go to cloudedtitles.com, and there are flyers and registration forms there in PDF that they can download and process. Okay, and that's... also a shopping cart there. Uh, I'm actually giving a copy of my book, The Credit Restoration Primer, uh, which a lot of uh, homeowners actually are getting results with, trying to clean up their credit reports so they can continue to exist in this credit-mandated society that we live in. Um, you know, obviously, they want to get their scores up, and these lenders, obviously, many of which don't own the loans, but claim they do, have their credit bureau reports, which has made a mess of things in the, uh, in the credit bureau scenario. So we're giving away for the first 15 people that sign up and register uh, a free copy of the credit restoration primer, which, you know, we're retailing for $39.95 as a bonus. Okay, and you're referring to your website. Yes, cloudedtitles.com is the website for uh, the book. Okay, and how can uh, the listeners buy your book? Well, they can buy it through the website. Um, that's, you know, probably one of the ways to do it. I know that it's been featured on Amazon.com by other entities like uh, Alex Jones Show and various other outlets. The um, I think that Joyce Riley is selling on the Power Hour, and there are several other outlets, I think, that you know, have smaller quantities of it. But right now, um, I think Alex and I probably have the largest amount, uh, the largest volume of books in, in stock. Okay. We're going to take a break soon. Uh, when we return, I'd like to talk to you about title insurance policies and what they cover. Sure. Which would be very interesting. <laughs> yes, it will. So we'll be back in a few minutes. Gary is inviting you to become a charter member of his National Foreclosure Defense Club, an exclusive public service for our regular listeners, who will each receive by email a copy of all cases and materials mentioned on the show each week for a very nominal annual introductory reduced charter member fee of $100, good until October 15th. You can join Gary and your friends today by sending your one-time annual payment and email address to the Foreclosure Hour, Suite 3100, 55 Merchant Street, Honolulu, Hawaii, 96813. Become a part of the show today. Now is your time to call in. We want to hear from you. This is your part of the show. Please call 808-521-8383. Toll free, 888-565-8383. If all lines are busy, please call back again later. Thank you, sir. Yes. Dave, we've had some callers asking if you're going to do a Honolulu seminar. 
Well, if they've been to CloudedTitles.com, they um, obviously will see that we have uh, Honolulu on the list of 2014. Uh, the, they're, they're tentative at this point of the uh, workshops that we want to hold. Uh, however, I know there are some people from the islands right now that want this information sooner than later, and so they're going to be attending the San Jose class um, you know, we would like to, uh, having been former Kama'aina and having worked on the radio in Hawaii, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a neat thing to come back and visit every so often. And so uh, we decided that, you know, we would try to make the trek this time and, and set up a class there. I know that there's others that are interested in doing a CLE for attorneys, and uh, that's something that I'd like to talk to you about uh, when we have more time. Great. Okay. Uh can we talk about title insurance policies? We've got listeners who are in the process of buying properties, and they're thinking in their head, well, it doesn't really matter because we're going to have title insurance, and if a problem arises, the title company will have to take care of it. Oh, boy. <laughs> what do you say to that? <laughs> well, for starters, uh, one, don't bet on it. Um, we're, uh, <laughs> we literally have been watching the, the back end of this whole equation, and the title companies now, I've got a, a dear friend of mine that works for Loris Title in Cleveland. His name is Bob Middleman. Uh, he'd be another great guest on your show because he refers to me as a purist, and Bob likes to do short sales. And um, the one thing that he does say is if you're buying a foreclosed property, you're nuts. Uh, I've had, you know, we've been monitoring the House Bill 87 hearings in Florida, and they've had one title executive after another appear before the legislative committees telling them that if they buy a foreclosed property in the state of Florida, they're crazy. It's insane because they're uninsurable. They cannot be insured because the titles are messed up. In fact, when I bought my house here, I literally went through 200 um, properties, and most of them were littered with MERS and title issues on their documents, and, and I found one that was actually only under a construction loan that I was able to negotiate directly with the bank and get it without having it securitized and put into the MERS system, and the bank actually put it in writing at closing, and I had them pay for my owner's title policy, which there are such animals, but don't guarantee that they're going to work unless you are for sure know that the chain of title is solid. And the reason I say it is because Schedule B uh, of these title policies, B as in boy, uh, Schedule B has exclusions in there that says if it's not recorded in the land records, we don't insure it. And we're finding out from a lot of homeowners now, Gary, that many of the title companies that are uh, even willing to cough up anything are paying about $500 in legal fees, and you and I both know that that doesn't begin to even tip the scales uh, in favor of the litigant. And then, of course, uh, a lot of buyers, they don't get a buyer's policy, title policy anyway. No, they think that the title insurance that they're buying, uh, they're buying to insure the property on their behalf, when in fact the title policy is to benefit the lender. And, you know, the funny thing about this whole situation, title companies, I think, are going to be the next target in these lawsuits. Many of them are insured, uh, reinsured as far as um, their E&O insurance by GE Capital Corporation. And uh, most of the, uh, the errors and omissions carriers don't really want to pay out these claims. We have a case in Missouri where the E&O carrier actually told the substitute trustee, uh, we think that the claims made against you in this court suit are legitimate, and we're not paying for your errors and omissions. You get to go in and litigate this thing pro se on your own. We're not paying for any of this because we think you actually are ultra-virus without authority and that you took money from this woman and... You know, you, you need to stand trial for that. So, you know, this is where these title insurance companies, along with the E&O carriers, are starting to uh, stand up, at least the reinsurers are, and saying, you know, we're not, we're not covering this. Uh, most insurance companies, Gary, as you well know, look for reasons to avoid paying out claims, uh, especially in cases like this. And yes. so uh, there's even a section in some title policies called conditions, uh, 
that says that if you know something about the chain of title to the property and you don't disclose it, we're not covering it. So they're, they're looking for any way they can to exclude themselves from having to pay for coverage. So then you have to ask yourself, why do we need this coverage in the first place if it's not going to pay for anything? So, you know, I tell these, the, anybody that asks this question, especially investors out there that are listening to your show, Gary, uh, that, you know, they really got to get in there and drill down on the documents and look at the chain of title to make sure it's solid before they even get near this property. Yeah, from a litigation point of view, Dave. Okay, we have some callers, but let me just mention, one of the techniques we've used successfully is we, uh, in challenging the chain of title, even if we lose in court, we file a jurisdictional appeal, the title companies will not give title insurance until the appeal is done and maybe two or three or four years. Uh, that causes the lender to settle with us. Yes, exactly. That's a, that's a, I love that strategy. Yeah. And the one thing that I will say about, you know, the, to the end that you are approaching here is that we're now starting to talk about this in class, and it's called basically uh, impairment of vendability. This is something I got out of the Second District Court of Appeals in Florida, and I started to research this stuff, and I'm going, wow, this is the hinge pin. If a property is uninsurable, what reasonable person would buy it? And so, therefore, the bank, knowing they can't sell a property that they themselves may have had a hand in clouding the title to, uh, yes, I can see exactly why you're getting settlement offers you know, on the table. We actually had a case in Michigan where, unfortunately, and I don't like my chain of title assessments ending up in court, but in this case, in one case in Michigan, it actually did. An attorney in Detroit that I work with was asked by the judge, how do you know what you're, what you're telling me? And he says, well, I, I had this chain of title assessment done by a guy that I would consider one of the foremost authorities on the subject. His book was used as an authority in the Bain versus uh, group, you know, Metro group mortgage in Washington in the Bain case uh, as an authority for the amicus brief for our Washington. And he says, I think that, you know, you need to look at this. And so the court asked me for a curriculum vitae, which I supplied. It's kind of like a legal resume. And afterwards, they uh, basically told the bank and the lawyer, you need to settle this because you're not going to like the way I'm going to rule. So the bank ended up getting the house back with a title that they themselves clouded and can't sell. The homeowners got a big fat settlement check and went their merry way. Yeah, we, we've had uh, Chase walk away from a $6 million deficiency judgment, and Wells Fargo gave up uh, to our one of our clients $2.5 million just to settle the case. But what they like to do is they like to get a judicial deed, and then they, they believe that the judicial deed will give them clear title. Amazing. They can believe whatever they want. I asked the bank's attorney... Uh, for one of the number two law firm in Kansas City, I had him on the phone. I didn't. I didn't. It was funny. I didn't even rec or realize that the guy represented the banks, that he, that he was a bank's attorney. But I said, look, just off the cuff, I said, tell me something. I said, is it possible to just go in on your own and just fix a, a chain of title that has been convoluted and screwed up? And he, the, the attorney said, absolutely not. There is no way that they can do this other than the quiet title to the property. Yeah. As a little aside, of course. Uh, MERS, et cetera, was largely a concept of the federal government, another violation of states' rights. Yes, I, I agree with you there. We've got some serious Tenth Amendment issues coming into play here, too, now, because of the fact that the, uh, the government wants to create a national mortgage registry, which I'm not in favor of, through the PATH Act. Mm -hmm. We have a caller on the line. Um, I'd like to retain your firm to represent me here in Honolulu, but I was wondering in the area of uh, foreclosure defense, are you considering filing a class action suit on behalf of a number of us homeowners here? We, we have a major class action suit. Uh, it's going to be filed by the uh, end of the month. I can't on the air tell you what lender it is, but yes, we're, we are reexamining our strategy in terms of class actions. But class actions are very difficult because you can't have a class action if the damage claims are going to be special in each individual case. But we are developing a strategy just to declare 
mortgages and mortgage assignments void. And are you able to uh, disclose on the air which companies, uh, mortgage lenders, you know, banks uh, you're representing right now or, or f filing against, you know, for the homeowners? I wouldn't want to give uh, any advance notice to oh, the lenders. To them. Okay. And if you want to call my office, I'd be happy to talk to you. Okay, in the area of foreclosure defense, I myself am trying to get the money to pay you the retainer up front. I think you're the only game in town. You've shown me you really thoroughly know what's going on in this area. And I think a lot of the other lawyers, as well as many of the judges and politicians, are clueless. There needs to be a great deal of education done. I'm telling some of my friends, and now they're starting to get it. I just wanted to know if I might be able to make a national plea on the air for funds for my foreclosure defense fund on fund.com. Uh, I'm Christy Adams, and you can go to fundly.com, F-U-N-D-L-Y.com. I'm the accordionist for the Honolulu Marathon. If you ever ran a marathon in the United States in Honolulu in the last 10 or 12 years, I'm a lady playing out there for free every year, and I need to get some money together to hire Gary to represent me. Yeah, that's always a problem because a lot of homeowners just can't afford the legal fees. The legal system is incredibly expensive. Of course it is, and I'm also single, never married. I've never had the benefit of two incomes. Most know all my girlfriends have been okay. married before and have probably a lot more money than right, I have. Thank you for calling. We've got to go on to another caller. Yes, we're fortunate again to have Virginia Parsons of Deadly Clear fame. Ginny, how are you doing today? Aloha, Gary. Hey, Dave. Aloha. Good show. Aloha. Thank you. Excellent. Ginny, appreciate it. Excellent. So, Gary, one of the questions I had when, when Dave was speaking, it, it, does it... Does it merit settlement at this point um, if if you can't get a clear title? I mean, what good does it do to the homeowner if the bank settles with him and he's still stuck with the same mortgage? Well, you can always settle, and you can and at the same time after the settlement, you can you can sue the lender again to, if you have a defective title because if if they are represent. You can ask them to represent in the settlement agreement that they're the, as they usually do, that they're the owner of the, of the mortgage and the note. What would be what would be to the what would you, if you had your pick of anything you could get from these banks besides just throwing away the mortgage? What would be the ultimate, of of settlement that would clear this up, for a homeowner? The only thing you could really do is to get is to get the uh, lender, the purported lender, to represent to you as part of the settlement that they own the note and the mortgage. And but we know that if it's a trust, for example, it never made it to the trust. And then well, if you have a pretender lender that's no more in existence, where are we sitting with these things? Well, take, an Indy, take an IndyMac bank, for example. Mm -hmm. if, it's in, if, it, if the loan never made it to the trust and IndyMac's been sold but One West didn't take on any of the liabilities. Where is that loan actually sitting? Who does really own it? Okay, but as a practical matter, if you've got a lawsuit going you, and you have a decent settlement, you probably want to take the settlement. But what, but what happens when you decide you want to sell the house? Well, the, uh, in the settlement, you could try to get the lender to represent that they're the owner of the mortgage and the note. But it's usually the servicer or the or their trust. That's what made Dave's Dave's comments so. You know they were powerful today. It's it, that's got to be a problem. It's going to be problematic for even those people that aren't in foreclosure. Isn't that right, Dave? Yeah, Dave. What do you think about that? Well, it it, it is a problem in of itself, Jenny, because of the fact that we're we're dealing in issues um, where when the lender comes in, they know that the PSA has been violated. Uh, we've called them on it, and I know that Gary has probably done this many, many times, uh, you know, even out of court, having conversations in the hallway, uh, you know, that he's told these banks, look, you, you guys don't have standing to pursue this. Even if you did want to settle it, you know, there's still an issue with title. I know in a couple of cases that uh, we're looking at now, some the banks are agreeing to allow the title to be quieted. And, uh, in other words, they're willing to say, as Gary indicated, that they are representing that they actually own the mortgage and note. And, therefore, uh, you know, basically the liability falls on them 
if uh, you know they they can't indemnify themselves if they say that they're the rightful owner of the note there wouldn't be a reason to indemnify themselves otherwise that would you know kind of tip its hat to the fact that well what are you hiding if if you have to uh, do what you do to these investors and indemnify yourself on these on these clauses in these sale contracts telling us that you know if we're going to sell this house to you that uh, we're you can't sue us then there must be something wrong with the entire scenario and hence this is why Gary said sometimes these homeowners uh, you know they'd rather take the settlement and just walk away and get out of it and go somewhere else like the homeowners in Michigan did and start over Dave actually I'm working Dave on the ultimate solution I call the Mortgage Integrity Act as a uniform act requiring all mortgage and mortgage assignments to be re-recorded and to prove ownership in a spe to a special mortgage court. And if they can't do it, then like, just like a bank account, you can't, nobody claims it, it would escheat to the state. Wow. Or, or be void. And this would be an alternative to the states. And the effect of all this would be that the states would wind up taking back the power to control interest in mortgages. And this would cripple the, uh, cripple the banks and would have another effect because so much of the tr Treasury debt is based upon mortgage-backed securities that they've been buying from the lenders at face value. Yeah, this is true. So I, I, I call this Uniform Act MIA, and the lenders would, would know it as Mamma Mia. <laughs> and I no doubt. I plan to have this uh, done in about a month. And this would be the ultimate solution. And one of the problems we have in foreclosure defense is that we bump into the class warfare argument where people say, well, why should, you, why should your mortgage be reduced when I'm still paying mine? But the benefit of forcing a re-recording of all mortgages and proof as to who owns them is that it would benefit people who are not even in foreclosure. And therefore, we wouldn't have the class action opposition. I mean, the, excuse me, I mean the class warfare opposition. Correct. Now, the other thing I would ask here is if the uh, property is sheets to the state, uh, is there going to be an automatic quieting of the title so that everything goes back to square one? It, that's one alternative. Another alternative is the state could divide it in half and, and, have, uh, and have money for their own operations. And this isn't going to fall into any issues with eminent domain at all? No. Eminent domain is too complicated. It'll be in litigation forever. And uh, it doesn't really apply, in my opinion. But okay. a cheat, a cheat is, to me, is the answer. To this whole thing because you've got you've got assets that no one can prove who owns them so we go back to a 2,000 year old ancient concept of the sheet something that merits more research by your listeners yes I, I'm <laughs> gonna have a uniform act shortly in a couple of weeks yeah I'd love to see a copy well, of that when you get it done yeah the mortgage integrity act and it seems to me like uh, Williamson County and Texas might be a great place to uh, to introduce that. Well, I can put you in touch we, with the attorney base in, in uh, Austin so you can talk to them about it. Yeah. Gary, how do we get the um, Bureau of Conveyances in Hawaii, for example, to, um, to uh, do an investigative uh, research on the titles in our, uh, in our Bureau that have been filed? That would be quite an undertaking. They do it in every other state. I mean, O'Brien does it in Massachusetts. Dave will probably know how many have done it. How many other states have done a full uh, it's, it's review, so, Dave? It's so political. You know, the problem resides in the Treasury Department, in my opinion. This is where the problem arises. This is where the banks are protected. And this state uh, in Hawaii is heavily Democratic, as you know. And uh, to a large extent, takes orders from the federal government. Whatever the Obama administration says, uh, 
the government here, the state government, just applauds. I think more likely this revolution will take place in states like Texas. I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, to answer your question, Ginny, there's only been four known completed and released audits in the United States of America since all of this uh, was uncovered, starting with John O'Brien and moving to Jeff Thigpen in North Carolina to Phil Ting in San Francisco and then to Williamson County in Texas. Yeah, I think we need to wake up the state legislatures. At least if we get one going, maybe the others would follow through. But right now, the state legislatures, the best thing they've done is they've passed laws requiring in court that attorneys certify that there's nothing wrong with the chain of title, the mortgage and the note. And all the lawyers do is they say, well, the lender told us it's okay. <laughs> and, and the judges go along with it. Oh, my. You know, here's another thing, too, for those of you going on. Uh, if, uh, and I know, do you, you prefer to go to federal court or do you like staying in state court, Gary? It, it depends. Uh, you know, it depends. In, in California, sometimes federal court is better. In Hawaii, sometimes state court is better. Well, we've, we've got an attorney that's working in um, L.A. County right now that has actually not only just voided the deed of trust to a borrower's um, chain of title, not only did he get rid of the deed of trust, but I just received a copy of an order of expungement where the judge has ordered the county recorder in Los Angeles County to remove the deed of trust physically from the land record plant. So the security instrument is no longer there. Okay. Uh, this attorney is going to be speaking at our San Jose class, by the way. Well, I'd love to talk to him. Many times uh, the result in court depends upon the particular facts of the case. So I'd, I'd want to know what the facts of that case were. Sure. Well, he actually got quiet title to the property, and he, did not attack the, he didn't attack the mortgage. He did not attack the promissory note when he attacked the quiet title. He just attacked the chain of title, and that was it, from my understanding. Just kind of boilerplate, and uh, I will put you in touch with him so you can explain it in detail, because obviously we don't have time to do that now. Yeah, that would be, that would be great. Okay, Ginny, did you have any other questions? Well, I just put a plea out there to the state of Hawaii that maybe what they want to do is take that $400,000 that they got from this recent settlement in El Paso, Texas, speaking of Texas, um, and apply it to doing a full investigation of our Bureau of Conveyances so, so we can get someone in there to tell us what, what's, what's real and what's not. D Dave, would you agree with me that so many of these uh, federal uh, lawsuits have been sweetheart lawsuits? I think a lot of them have been. I think of them just, you know, as uh, being used to uh, get political clout and say, look what I did when it comes time to run for your seat in office again. Yeah, and then the, the lenders uh, who, let's say, uh, stole a dollar, they give back a penny. And exactly. Everybody, everybody. And then, you know, Lord knows how much they contribute to the, um, through their channels to the um, AG's uh, political contributions. <laughs> so, Dave, is there any hope? What would your solution be? Well, knowing what uh, we're seeing right now, is, as far as solutions, all we can do is continue to fight the fight and wake up America and continue to educate because this seems to be uh, with the recent cases in Arabobo and Saldivar and we even had a district court judge here in Florida in Sarasota uh, also uh, ruled that the PSA was not complied with and New York trust law was violated. So, uh, I mean, that's a district court case. We've had a similar case in Michigan in Washington County in HSBC versus Young uh, where that same scenario occurred and the district court judge said, so sorry, trust, you don't have standing, you violated the PSA, the assignment didn't make the pool in the proper amount of time with all the rest of the paperwork and it's over and done with. So I think the solution here is educate, educate, educate. But at the same time, in my experience, you know, tens of thousands of homeowners are losing their home while these uh, good decisions trickle around. 
Yeah, I know. That's that's the sad part about it is is that the homeowners um, many times don't even show up in court. In fact, um, in the Chicago class we just had, Tyce Johnson, who's a super lawyer in Chicago that assists in cases all over the country, said that you know in his area, 85 percent of the homeowners don't even show up in court. Mm-hmm. He said that at least will get you know at least show up, at least say something. Don't stand idly by and watch them take your house that they may not legally own. Have you heard of the phrase uh, zombie mortgages? Yes. We have a lot of them here in Florida. Yeah. Can you explain what what that's about? Well, basically, it it comes about in two different ways. Uh, One is because of the fact that if you notice, like in, in Florida, for example, a lot of these homeowners get foreclosed on and the bank does nothing because they can't convey title. And the reason we know this is because in numerous cases we've gone back in and looked at the chain and found that the current owner that's living in the property actually uh, is still in possession of it legally. Their name is still on the warranty deed. The warranty deed's never been replaced by a certificate of title because the bank doesn't want to sell it. And so uh, the other way that this uh, happens is because of the fact that we do a lien strip. In other words, there's some issue regarding separation of the deed and the note where the bank can't prove anything, and therefore it ties the whole matter up in court for years and years and years, and the homeowner continues to live in the house, uh, obviously just paying the, the bare-bones minimum, which I strongly encourage if a homeowner is in that scenario, that they start saving their money and trying to come up with an end game, because most homeowners in America don't have one. Mm-hmm. I've also heard of cases where uh, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac will sell a home, and then um, somebody comes in and says they've got a mortgage on it. Uh, Dave, thanks so much. Uh, this has been very uh, educational. We have, we have to have you back again. I'm getting the word that we only have a few seconds, so uh, I want to thank you. And I want to mention that next week we have a New Mexico title attorney, Ken Hanks, on the air. And the following week we have Robert Jans author of The Shell Game, Murr's Contrived Confusion. Both so, great guests, Gary. Both yeah, great so, guys. I know both of them. Oh, marvelous. So They are both great guys. We, I want to thank everybody for listening today and hope you'll be with us next Sunday. Next week for the Foreclosure Hour, broadcasting weekly each Sunday from the Dubin Law Offices at Harbor Court in downtown Honolulu at 3 p.m. Hawaii Standard Time on News Radio 830 KHVH and on the iHeartRadio app across the nation and beyond.